Well, for about as long as I can remember, I have always had this kind of desire to be a bit famous, you know, a bit influential, a little bit great. And sometimes I see people become famous and I get a little bit jealous. And especially if they do something which is not, you know, that big a deal and they get famous anyway, like the guy who got famous for uh, dressing as a stormtrooper and riding a unicycle and playing bagpipes. I'm like, I mean, that's skillfully impressive, but doesn't add much to the world. I was like, man, if I'd just worked on my bagpipe and unicycle while wearing a stormtrooper suit skills, I could be that guy. And so I haven't managed to achieve greatness yet. Probably the high point of my life was when I was six years old. When I was at school, I played this game with my friends. It was called Best Buddies. And it was me and my friend, that's where it started off. And we would be in one part of the playground and I'd be like, yeah, here we are at Dreamworld. Let's go on a roller coaster. And my friend would be like, yeah. And then we'd like pretend we're on a roller coaster. We'd be like, whoa, whoa, whoa. And then, we'd, and then when it was finished, we'd be like, yeah, best buddies. And then we'd give each other a thumbs up. And I'd be like, great, let's go on a plane and go to Disneyland. And we'd be like, okay. And then we'd get on a plane and we'd like, fly around the, the, the playground until we got to another part of the playground. We'd be like, here we are in Disneyland, best buddies. Let's go on some rides. That was the game. It was really fun. We'd just fly around to different theme parks around the world. And I think I knew three theme parks, so we just flew to three theme parks. Anyway, that was really fun for us. And it turns out it was you know, fun for some of the other kids. I, at that stage, when I was six, I was in this school grade called Transition, which uh, for me, it was transition between kindergarten and year one. Because when I was in kindergarten, I did a terrible job at being in kindergarten. I didn't really learn anything much except for how to play in a sandpit. I left my, my old school, which I started school in, for after three months of school and went to my new school, which is where I played Best Buddies. And the teacher, the principal, had to write down the things that I had learnt. And when he sent this letter to my new school to say why I'd learnt in my three months in my first school, he wrote, nothing. And that's about as far as I got for the whole of the year. So they were like, well, Tom, you're not smart enough to make it to year one, but we're too kind to keep you in kindergarten. So they created this whole special year for me and three other dumb kids. It was called Transition. And so I was in Transition. And this game, it started with me and my friend, then some of the people who were in the year above, in year one, who were my friends from the year before, they were like, we wanna play this game too. And so they started playing. And then all my friends, all three of them from Transition, they started playing as well. And then when the kids you know, saw all this happening, who were older than them, all the kinder kids, they're like, we wanna play too. So they started playing. So by the end, I had the entire infant school following me around, flying to different theme parks, going, best buddy and we were all best buddies. I was the king of the infants. I was the infant school. If anything I wanted done, I could get it done. I had influence and power, and that was about the highest achievement that I have had since then. I, I have done nothing, really. So, you know, we want greatness, and sometimes the way that we want to achieve greatness is, you know, just by immediately being big and powerful, and, and you know, in this world where things work virally and we see people become stars overnight, we often don't think about the, the time that it takes from something to start off really small and get really big. 
But what we see uh, in the parable of the mustard seed is that the kingdom of God is something that starts really small and grows really big. It starts not from just two friends running around a playground, but it starts from just one person. And it's this principle that from little things, big things grow. And I know the song is not about that, but you know, this is the same principle that we see working itself out throughout the world. Our world is full of stories of little things becoming big things. Sometimes there's big things that, you know, breed bigger things. Like in World War II, Hitler, you know, decides that he likes Austria and Czechoslovakia and Poland, and so he invades them, and then World War II begins. So sometimes there are big things that lead to big things, but often there are small things that become very big things. My favorite thing to talk about uh, when we're talking about soft drink is Coca-Cola, which started very small. In 1886, there was a man named John Pemberton. He was trying to create some brain tonic. He was a chemist to sell in his chemist shop. And now it's the um, biggest soft drink in the world. Coke is the second most recognizable word in the world after OK. Um, they sell billions of servings of Coke a day. You know, little things start and they become big things. Or Google, for instance, started when two friends uh, at university, I think it was Stanford, um, they were Larry Page and Sergio Brin, I think that's how you call it, they were working together, they started to build a, um, a search engine together as a project for college. It was a search engine called Backrub, and now that has grown and become Google, which is one of the biggest companies in the world and knows more about you than you do, which is a big deal. And just while we're at it, it is I think, a blessing from God that they changed the name from Backrub to Google because you don't want to be like, hey, when did the American War on Independence start? I don't know, Backrub it. <laughs> or, or, are you free on Wednesday? I don't know, let me check my Backrub calendar. Or the last one, this is the one that I think is the worst one. It's like, I'm thinking of dating this girl. Ooh, make sure you Backrub her first. <laughs> yeah, see, there you go. I'm glad they changed the name, but that's not really important at all. We see this principle of from small things growing to become big things, from little things, big things grow. We see this in the story of the kingdom of God. And the way it works out there is, you know, bigger or more protracted than we see in any other story. The story of the kingdom of God starts when the king of the world comes into the world as a human, but comes as a tiny little baby, born in this out-of-the-way place in Bethlehem, uh, placed in a feeding trough, and then he grows up to become a carpenter, and then a homeless traveling preacher, and he spends just three years doing his ministry. He doesn't you know, spend a lot of time doing much. It's not auspicious beginnings. Jesus has, you know, only three years experience, which, and tell you what, that's less experience than I have in ministry, in case you're wondering. I've been doing ministry for 14 years, which makes me over three times more experienced than Jesus. If we both applied for the youth pastor job here at Mitcham Baptist two years ago, then I would probably have got the job because I am more experienced than Jesus just so you know, unless it was a carpentry job and then he would beat me hands down. So what I'm saying is that he didn't do much. Like in the, he was here for a very short amount of time and he hung out with 12 people and these 12 guys, you know, they were idiots. They didn't, they didn't manage to figure out exactly what they were meant to be doing the whole time and they ran away from him when he got arrested for a crime that he didn't commit and then he got killed, hung on a cross and he was deserted. That's the beginning of the kingdom of God. That's, that's the mustard seed. It's not much. 
But then from that mustard seed of, of the king who has come to earth and died on the cross grows the kingdom of God. Those 12 people, they wait on God and they pray and the Holy Spirit falls on them. And when the Holy Spirit comes, they go out and they start sharing the good news of Jesus. And on that first day when they share the good news, 3,000 people become Christians. And then a few days later, 2,000 people become Christians. And then it just goes on from there. And ever since then, the kingdom of God has been growing and growing and growing like a small seed growing into a large plant. And it doesn't, it doesn't stop here. I mean, at the moment in the world, there are about 2 billion people who call themselves Christians. It's a, you know, almost a third of the population of the world calling themselves Christians. That is a big deal, but it doesn't stop. It's going to just keep growing and growing and growing. The Bible promises us that the kingdom of God will one day encompass all of creation. That one day the king is going to come back to this earth and at that point, everybody in earth, on earth will bow down to him. All the kings and presidents and prime ministers, everyone will bow down before the king of the universe, Jesus Christ. And God will remake all the world and remake all the universe to be perfect again. So then the kingdom of God will have expanded from the work of this one baby born in a manger to encompass the entire universe. That is Big things growing from small things. That's what God is doing, and it's exciting that we get to be part of this. The problem is that, you know, when we think about it, sometimes we don't always get it exactly right. We think about the kingdom of God, we think about this mustard seed growing into this giant tree, and we're like, we love the idea of being part of this strong tree, because trees are big, and trees are immovable, and trees you know, have large branches, and they dominate the landscape. And I've heard people talking about the kingdom of God in ways where they say, you know what, church, we are that tree. We have grown big, and we are growing strong, and we should be unmovable like the tree. We should be the the church, the church that rules the world because this is God's world and we are God's people so we should run this world. We should make sure that the world doesn't influence us, we influence the world. We should make sure that we have Christians in every part of society so that what we say goes, that we are in charge, we make things work. God has made us to grow from something small to be the big tree in the world. Now, you know, that's a little bit extreme, but we have this idea that because we are the kingdom of God, that we have gone small, too big, that we have the blessing of God on us, that we should be big and strong and powerful and we should run the world, that that's the trajectory where everything is heading to. We are heading to this place where we will run everything. But the problem is that that's not what the Bible is talking about. It doesn't say that we grow into a large tree. It doesn't say that the church is the kingdom of God. It says that the church is part of the kingdom of God and the kingdom of God, it grows into a plant. When you think about a mustard plant, um, you need to do some research into what it is because we don't spend a lot of time hanging around mustard plants. But mustard plants can grow into um, a shrub and they can grow into a weed. It can grow into a plant that at the most grows about three meters high, which isn't that impressive. Like, it's impressive for a plant, but it's not that impressive. And what Jesus is saying here is he's saying that we become, the kingdom of God becomes the largest of all garden plants, which is like, great, but, you know, not as impressive as we would like. And we, you know, the kingdom of God grows into a 
shrub. Or it's another place I heard it said the largest of all garden herbs, which is, you know, it's not that impressive. We march on as the kingdom of God. We are a strong herb. Like that's, that doesn't sound that great to us. But it seems like God is saying to us something here, something about how we should see the kingdom of God and how we should participate in the kingdom of God. We need to adjust our expectations for how we interact with the kingdom of God. I have this problem that often, you know, I watch TV and I think it's going to be one thing and it turns out to be something completely different. This, uh, there was a show that was uh, being advertised on Stan. It was called uh, Mozart in the Jungle. And I, I saw it and, and I, it was about, you know, an orchestra. I think it was about a, a young woman who was, you know, trying to make it in New York and become a part of the orchestra. And I was like, wow, this sounds really interesting. I was like, you know, I, I think orchestras sound pretty good and maybe there'll be lots of good orchestra music in there and it'll be inspiring. And, oh, watch this show. So I started watching it and, uh, you know, I made it through the first episode and the second episode and the third. I made it halfway through the season. And I was like, yeah, you know, this is all right. I was waiting for it to get really good, but, you know, it never quite got there and I paused it one day to go and get some lunch and so I went to the kitchen and then you know Emily came home at that point and she saw the TV paused it was a woman who was at that point talking to another woman I think they were in a concert hall doesn't really matter Emily said why are you watching a show for women I was like what what do you mean for women she was like look at it look at the lighting look at her hair look at that makeup this is a woman's show I was like what and then I thought about it I'm like hold on a tick I think it is a woman's show. I was like, there has been one minute of orchestra playing in this show about orchestras, but there's been like 30 romantic relationships started and broken by every character in the show. I was like, I am watching a woman's show. I was like, no, what have I done? And, and immediately I had to readjust my expectations and I realized that the whole rest of the show was gonna have just as little fun orchestra stuff and just as much kissing. And I was like, I don't really wanna watch this. So I never unpaused it. I just left it, never, wa excuse me, never watched it again. The same thing happened to me when I found out that show, Friday Night Lights, which is about a football team. Someone told me, that's a show for women. I was like, no, it's not. It's got football in it. And they're like, yeah, well, think how many times you see the footballers walking around with their tops off. I'm like, oh, yeah, they do have good bodies. Like, darn it, I've been tricked again. I have to readjust the way that I, you know, evaluate TV shows. And, and what we have to do is we have to readjust the way that we think about the kingdom of God. Like sometimes we think the kingdom of God is going to be this big, strong, powerful thing which is going to take over the world, that, that we are going to be the ones that set the agenda for how the world will work. But that's not what the Bible is saying here. And, and, the, and the problem is that whenever the church gets too much power in the world, things go really bad. Like you just have to look into church history and see the way the church has behaved when it has had too much power. And you see that things go wrong when the church behaves like a giant tree, the biggest tree in the forest. You know, the church would, you know, control the politics of vast kingdoms, would put people to death for having ideas that were slightly off. It would do it all over the world for hundreds of years. It was... Uh, Lord Acton, who was talking about the church when he said this famous quote, power tends to corrupt and absolute power corrupts absolutely. Great men are almost always bad men, even when they exercise influence and not authority. Still more when you super add the tendency or certainty of corruption by authority. 
There is no worse heresy than, the office, than that the office sanctifies the holder of it. When the church gets too much power, when the church decides to be a tree, to run society, to, to try and remake the kingdom of God in our image, to remake the world in the way that we think it should be, things go wrong. We forget our place. We forget that it is God in charge. But when we look at this passage, we see that Jesus has a different picture of how the church should be behaving, how the kingdom of God should work in this world. It starts off very, very small, and it grows big, but it only grows to be the largest of all plants in the garden. And what it does as a plant is it provides shade for the birds. And if you're in Israel in Jesus' day, if you know anything about Israel, you know that it's sunny in Israel. It's often sunny. And if you're a bird there and you're wandering around, you're like, oh man, it's so hot. I wonder, how will I find some shade? Oh, here's a nice mustard tree. Oh, I'll go sit in it. And then the bird sits in the mustard plant and it's like, oh, I love this shade. It's a very happy bird because of the mustard plant. And the, the role of the plan is not to be taking everything over and ruling, but to be providing a place of rest and restoration. And we, as people who are part of the kingdom of God, we need to see that that is our role in the world, not to rule the world, but to serve the world. And in fact, when we look at the bird, uh, we see that the bird, funnily enough, is not a mustard plant. Like, it's not like the plant, the mustard plant grows to serve itself, or the mustard plant grows to serve other mustard plants. It comes along the bird, the bird is wholly other than, uh, wholly other than the mustard plant. And that we, as people who are part of the kingdom of God, we exist to serve those who are wholly other than us. We don't just exist for our own benefit, we exist for those outside of the kingdom of God that they might be offered a place of rest and restoration. And if we are, you know, really, really want to see the role of the kingdom of God you know, in a tree, then the tree that we can think about is the one that we find in Revelation chapter 22. Because when the kingdom of God finally comes in all its fullness, it tells us that there's going to be a city that comes down from heaven that's about the size of Australia. Uh, whether that is figurative or literal, it doesn't really matter. It's really big. And in that city, there is a tree that, that lives beside the river of life, and that is the tree of life. And it tells us that the tree of life uh, has leaves that are there for the healing of the nations. That the tree is not there to destroy anyone, but to heal people. We have a role as the church, we have a role as God's people to be offering rest and restoration to the world. On Friday, I got to celebrate my grandfather's 90th birthday, uh, which was um, pretty exciting, and particularly exciting because my grandfather uh, has lived um, quite an amazing life. My grandfather is a Hungarian Jew who grew up in Hungary during World War II. And in Hungary, uh, there were many people who wanted to kill my grandfather. And late in um, the war, uh, my grandfather had been in a work camp 
and uh, he had escaped from the work camp and he was living uh, in Budapest and he was living, um, pretending to be a Hungarian army officer, an injured army officer. He'd found himself a, a uniform and he was you know, wandering around pretending to be injured and whenever he'd stop, got stopped, he'd show them his papers and if you know, things went too badly for him, he'd be like, is this how you treat an injured veteran of the army? And they'd be like, oh, and they'd let him go. And that was how he escaped death. But what was going on at the same time is that he had his mother and his father who were in the city too, and he had to look after them. And so as, you know, the army officer, he went to get them registered as refugees, um, non-Jewish refugees, so they could, you know, live within the city and have papers for when they got searched by the Arrow Cross, which was the Hungarian equivalent of the SS. And so he went to a sign-up to get some papers for them one day, uh, and he was at the refugee office, and he met this uh, woman and her daughter, and they heard this story, heard him talking about how his parents were refugees, and they, uh, they understood straight away that he was talking about the fact that his parents were Jewish. But they you know, kept up the charade as they talked, and they said, oh, well, you, your mother, she can come and stay with us. And so he found a place for his mother to stay, and he made contact with another woman who ran a brothel uh, in um, Budapest, and she said, well, you know, your father can stay with us. You know, everyone's coming and going all the time, so he can stay with us. We can pay a little bit of rent. It'll be okay. So my grandfather put his father in the brothel and put his mother in with this other family, and both of them were risking their lives to save uh, my great-grandparents. And so they hid out there for a few months, and uh, they were there uh, even when the Russians came along and started bombing the city and, and put um, Budapest under siege. And there was this one time when uh, my grandfather and his great-grandfather were in the brothel and they were hiding there. And there was another man, a, a Romanian refugee, who was a true refugee, also in the, um, the place with them. And um, the Arrow Cross burst in and they said, we're looking for Jews who are hiding and so the Romanian man, he stepped up and he said, oh, you know, well, you know look, I, I'm a proper refugee. Look at my papers. And he chatted to them and then he started telling them jokes and he knew that if they went searching, if they went through the next door, that they would find my grandfather and my great-grandfather. And so my grandfather was there. He was ready. He had his pistol out, which was part of his army uniform. He was ready to shoot anyone who came through the door. But the Romanian just chatted to them and you know, made them feel comfortable, made them feel at home until there was some shooting in the street. And there were some other um, Jewish um, people who had been hiding and they got caught by the Arrow Cross and they surrendered when they heard the shooting and then they were, those guys were taken away and they were interrogated and the next morning they were executed. My grandfather his, and his father and his mother, they were kept safe by these people who said, we will provide a place of refuge for you. And we will house you, we will keep you safe. And the reason why they did it was because they were like, we are human and you are human. And you are important to us. So we will provide this place of rest for you, this place of safety for you. The challenge for us is that we see the kingdom of God as a place of rest and refuge for all people. Because while these people uh, cared for my family and I probably exist only because of their kindness, while these people, they did it only because of their shared humanity, we have a greater reason to love. We have a God who gave up the comforts of heaven to come down to earth for us. That he put aside anything that he 
uh, you know, he could hold on to and was willing to give it all up to become a servant, to become a slave, to become obedient to death on a cross for us. That he was willing to be punished for us so that we could find refuge in him. That we could find safety from God's wrath in him. So if he has done that for us, then the way that we live out the kingdom of God is not to control people and not to to make people like us, but to offer people rest, to offer people protection, to offer people hope. That we would see our role here as God's church in Mitcham to be not a place where we just look after the strong, but we seek out and we build up the weak. Not a place for people who have got it all together, but we, you know, help heal the broken. That we see our living out of God's kingdom are not as a place for, you know, people who do everything right, but a place where anyone can come and find love and forgiveness in their Savior. The kingdom of God starts small, but it gets bigger and bigger and bigger, and it changes the world, but it does it through love. We seek to be a place of rest and refuge so that more and more people will come into God's kingdom and see what God has done for them in His Son. And the kingdom of God will grow and grow and grow until one day God comes in His Son, Jesus, and remakes everything and the kingdom of God fills the whole universe. That is what we look forward to. Let's be part of the kingdom of God and make make our work here a work of love. That we see the church grow into becoming part of the largest of all garden plants. And we own that and we love it. That we do not take over this world, but we love it. And the kingdom will grow through that. Uh, If you are someone who is not a Christian, then you need to know that this is a place for you to just be. You are welcome here. But the only place that you will find true love and true hope and true forgiveness and true redemption is in the love of Jesus Christ. And he invites you to be part of his kingdom. He invites you to be part of his family. He invites you into his kingdom of rest and restoration that you might be restored and that you might be able to be part of changing this world through love. And if you are someone who is a Christian, then the challenge for you is to say, how can I be affecting the lives of those around me with love? How can I give up on my ideas of power and control? And how can I take hold of Jesus' ideas of love and grace? How can I find those who are weak and give them protection? How can I find those who are struggling and help them How can I find those who are weary and give them rest? How can I do this as a servant of Jesus that the kingdom of God may grow and grow and grow and grow in love? Because that is how Jesus is changing this world. How about I pray for us? Lord God, I thank you that you have been at work in this world. And there's something that started so small with a baby in a manger will one day encompass the entire universe. I would pray that we will see our role, that our role is not to be aggressive. Our role is not to rule. But our role is to serve as you have served us. Our role is to love as you have loved us. 
I pray that we as a church will be a church that looks outside of itself, that offers a place of rest and restoration, that we will be a plant in your garden that provides shade to the birds of the air, that as you have changed us with your love, we will be part of changing the world with your love. Amen.